We've, uh, even though it's a new year, we've had some good weeks, haven't we? Last week, um, even Christmas Day, the carol, got Christmas Day, the carol service was a good time. And uh, I want to refer to that a little bit later on. And last week, um, with the two testimonies we've had from Iris and Andrea, um, we're just reminding us, in a sense, how good it is to know God and to know who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And um, as Steve has mentioned, we're looking at these three verses in Hebrews uh, 10. The three verses are in Acts 22 uh, to 25. Um, This morning we're actually going to read from 19 just to get into context a bit. Um, just Just after we moved here, I think it was a few weeks after we moved here to Briary's school, um, we, as elders, we laid down a, a, um, a demonstration of what it was um, to be committed to him. I have a box of stones here. Does anybody remember the box of stones? You remember the box of stones. I wonder if any of you can remember which stone you picked up. <coughs> you, you took it home. That's thieving, Kay. You wasn't meant to do that. Good. Excellent. Well, for those who aren't aware, in the Old Testament, there's a story about uh, when the Jewish people w- uh, went across the sea um, and uh, they picked up stones, or they took stones from the bottom of there and took them to the land, and, and they made a pile of them to remind them how God had brought them through safely. And um, it was a miraculous time. God, when God worked out an amazing miracle for these people. Um, but it was just a reminder what God, had did for them, what God did for them. And in a sense, when we moved here, we wanted to be committed to what God was doing in Herne Bay and being here. So in a sense, we're revisiting something, but uh, I suppose there come times in our life when we just to say, I need to pull my socks up. To say, um, am I as committed to God as I really am? Or am I, am I really committed to Beacon Church and what God is doing here? Sometimes we can waver a bit and we can say, is it worth it? Um, am I doing the right thing, or is this whole thing about God and his church just a thing, just a thing I visit on Sundays, just going to church and just having a good time? But actual fact, um, it, it reminds me of the story, and this is a story been told very many times, but it still brings the point out of the pig and the hen. And uh, it's how the, um, uh, the pig and the hen were having a conversation, and uh, whereas the hen was saying, what I give is a contribution, whereas the pig says, what I give is my life. In a sense, there's a difference there between you know, understanding what we give to God. Um, am I just giving a contribution, or am I giving my life to it? And let's face it, Jesus gave his life for us. There is a sense of demand upon our lives to give our lives to him. Um, in every sense, and that means too where God is working, what I'm part of. And so these stones just remind us, just bring back to reminder that um, 
we were committed to what God was doing in Herne Bay. And we've had Andrea's prayer this morning, and other things saying, what does God want to do in Herne Bay? And am I committed to that? Am I committed to the purpose of God in my life? So that's one way of looking at commitment. Um, as we look into Hebrews in a minute, um, we're going to look at it from a different point of view because in actual fact, what we committed ourselves to when we gave our lives to Jesus Christ was lifelong, day by day, and for eternity. We're actually giving our lives to Christ. We're giving our lives to the cause of Christ. We're actually putting our lives on the line. And um, it was interesting when Bob brought his message on at the carol service because he said the shepherds were bad shepherds because they left their sheep behind to go to see Jesus. And, um, but I just wanted to pick up that thought in a different way. They'd found something which drew them away that they were excited about and they went to see and they became part of. And sometimes we need to be reminded that Jesus, his church, and what he's doing needs to draw us away. And in a sense, there was a, a leaving. And although they went back to their, she to their sheep, there was a point in they, they left what they were doing, bad shepherds, but they went after Jesus. They didn't understand it, but they went after it because the angels had told them. Um, but I was, it just made me think and go on to think about the Bible and how it takes up this thought of leaving. You remember the, if you remember the story about the Samaritan woman, when she met Jesus, she left her water jar. In other words, her experience with Jesus had taken away from the reason she first came to the well. He'd become more important at that moment, and she was so excited about what she'd found, this, what Jesus had told her, that she left. Even as a child, I remember this point being brought out. She left her water jar, and she went after something more important. But we read about the disciples in the New Testament that Matthew left all and followed Jesus. So the thought of leaving is quite an important one when we come to the Christian life. In a sense, there must be a drawing away from who we are and what we've done in our past life and to begin a new life. And even Peter said at one stage in his life, Lord, we've left all to follow you. They'd actually left, so these fishermen had left their business They'd left their father, one of them, one family had left their father to do the business because Jesus had become most important and they now wanted to go after him and to be with him. So the point is really in a sense, as we read through the biblical accounts and particularly the New Testament, to be a follower of Jesus Christ involves a point of leaving who we are and what we've done to follow him. And that thought must stay with us all through our lives. Is he more important? Is he more important? Because that's a point that, the, that is brought out in these three verses in, Hebrew, in Hebrews. Now, uh, before we read this, I think it was about 1963, I first met Margaret. Margaret. 
I would travel the 22-odd miles from Sturry to Ashford, because that's where she grew up in church in Ashford. And um, I used to go these miles. And although she wasn't my first, the first girl I looked at, <laughs> she knows that. And there were two others I was chasing, which failed miserably. <laughs> By sight, she wasn't the one I was looking at. But by an amazing course of events, God brought her into my path. And the first thing I noticed about Margaret when I met her, she was committed to Jesus. And I would say without a shadow of doubt, many times she's kept me on the rails. Jesus was her first love of her life. I could see that, I knew it, and I've lived with it, and I thank God for it. She wanted to be a teacher, but because Dad didn't have enough money, she wasn't, wasn't able to go to university. And so because she'd got A-levels and stuff like this, and she'd gone as far as Dad thought she could go. And so her sister, who hadn't got A-levels, he spent the money that she would go to college and do catering. So in a sense, she, she felt she'd lost out, in a sense, and so she went into the bank and did things like that. But I've never really heard a complaint about that, and as it's worked out, she's realised that God had a different course for her in life. And in a sense, there was a leaving in that point that God had something better. And sometimes in our lives, you know, we need to hold this. If we're absolutely focused on something and we drive ourselves towards it, which is nothing wrong in that at all, God, Jesus, may have a different course for us in our lives. And we need to know what it is. He must be the important one. He must be the one that we hear from. And so I've asked her just to give just a little account of what drew her to this point and the day that she actually made that choice. If Steve put that microphone. That's oh, got it. I really wanted to walk out the room when he said all those things about me. But mind you, um, no, I wasn't the first one. I know I wasn't. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I remember we were going to an OM meeting in Folkestone and um, my, a friend of ours said, oh, I've got David Horrell, a girlfriend. And I, my heart fell because I'd fancied him. <laughs> and um, anyway, I went into the toilet of the church and I had a little cry, and I said, Lord, well, if he's not the one, I dare say you've got someone for me. So. But he was the one, so therefore, that was fine. Anyway, anyway that was that. But, um, yeah, about commitment, I can remember when, um, I don't know how old I was, um, we didn't go to church in the evening because my father was a baker, and he used to go to put the, start the bread off at six o'clock on Sunday evening, and so... 
didn't have a car at that time. Um, so my mum used to sit at the piano and she used to play hymns and we used to sing them. And I can remember singing, um, I expect the older ones, if you know the, the hymn, Oh Jesus, I have promised to serve you to the end. And I can remember standing and singing this hymn and really meaning it. And I really meant I was going to serve Jesus and to the end. Uh, and that's what I've tried to do. And I'm not saying I'm perfect, I fall away and I go up and down, but that I can remember that very, very clearly. When I became a Christian, I have no idea, because I was fortunate to be taken to the Baptist church by my grandmother, and um, my grandmother used to run a, they used to call it the adult school, and it was for ladies, and I can remember being there when I was about three. So I have no idea when I became a Christian, but I do remember that when I was about 15 um, and the young people used to go to one of the elders' houses after um, church, used to call it uh, YPF, we used to go there and sing. Um, and I, I didn't used to go, my eldest sister did, but this one Sunday, God must have put it in my mind and I thought, yes, um, I want to go. So I said to mum, can I go? Yes, she said, as long as you're home by 10 o'clock. Um, and um, so I went. And several of the young people have asked to be baptised. And what I didn't know was that one of the elders was going to talk about baptism. And we, we sat, and I can remember sitting um, in, in Jemmet Road. It was, I think it was number three. And I sat there on the win in the window, it was like um, a bay window, and I sat on the window ledge, and they started talking about baptism. And the Holy Spirit put his finger on me. I felt there was nobody else in the room except me, and I knew that I had to be baptized. And I, I just, everybody else seemed to disappear, and it was just me and the Lord. And I can remember thinking, if I don't, if I'm not baptized now, if I don't go forward, that I am gonna go backwards. So I, as I say, when I got home, I couldn't wait to get home, and I thought, I've got to say something to Mum. And one of the elders lived next door to us, so before Mum came, she came up to say goodnight to us, and I said to her, Mum, I want to be baptised, and I just spurted it out. Oh, she said, I'll go and tell Uncle Dave, and she ran all the way down the stairs, went next door and told him, and I thought, phew, I can just rest now, because I, and I was, as I say, I was baptised, and I've tried to follow the Lord ever since, to be committed to him and to do what he wants me to do. Shall we? Oh, I'm using this other one, so let's see. <laughs> well, if you've got, um, I hope you've got Bibles or a word or a, um, a phone or something in front of you to read these words together. Hebrews 10... And we're going to read actually 19 to 25 just to get the context. If you're a Bible student, um, you, can, you can read through this thesis, if you like, this letter, Hebrews. And there's a, there's a continuity through it until you come to these verses in verse 19, and it starts with, therefore... In other words, all, that's, all that the writer has, has said in these words before has a reason for, for, for writing them. 
Now, I'm not going to go into them because they're particularly Jewish-orientated. They, they, they're actually working with, with, with Jewish people who, who had sort of fallen back or were falling back into, into following the Jewish ways again, and which they had been released from. And Jesus had become their saviour, and they had seen that he was the fulfilment of all the promises, but there was a sense that they were falling away. And we'll come to that in a moment. So this word, therefore, in verse 19, is where you get a break. Suddenly, it breaks. And the writer is coming to what he really wants to say. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is the verse we're looking at today. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, or as other versions put, the profession of our faith, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's the passage, the verse is verse 23. It's actually in two parts, but I'm going to deal with it in, in three ways. There's two parts. Let us hold the fast the confession of our hope without wavering. That's the first part. For he who promised is faithful is the second part. So it has to do with us and it has to do with him. And we're thinking about commitment to him. If we read through this amazingly Christ-exalting thesis, and I did, that's what it is. If you read through it, it puts Christ in an amazing place. It sees Jesus. He's the hero. But as we read through it, there are some negative references which most likely expose the reason for what and why it is written. And those ne negative references are drift away, fall away, turn away, and throw away. They're just little phrases, but they, they're introducing to us something of where these Christians were actually experiencing the negative part of their lives as Christians. Drifting away, falling away, turn away, and throw away, even. Then there's some other negative words, neglect, ignore, harden, referring to people's hearts, they become hard, not able to, hindered if you like, did not, did not combine, that's combine it with faith, what they knew. They were slow to learn, they were falling short and unbelieving. You say, well, that's a bit of a negative group of people. But that's what he was, this is what the writer was dealing with, you know. When we're given something so amazing as being born again of the Spirit of God, we become children of God and we become of God's family, and we're introduced into his kingdom, it's incumbent upon us, in other words, it's a very necessary thing to follow through with that if we've given our lives to it. It's about commitment. And yet you read this negativity going on and 
It's not a complaint, it's not a judgment, but it's something we all experience at times in our lives, isn't it? And it's something that can so easily happen if we let it slip, if we let it go. God doesn't push himself on us. That's so amazing. He's so sensitive to us and loves us so much that he doesn't put our arms up behind our back, as we say. He doesn't force us into anything. But he's drawing us. Drawing us. As Andrea said last week, he's drawing us with the cords of love. He's not wagging the finger. But he's drawing us with the cords of love. Say, come on. This is so amazing what you've got, what I've given you. Why don't you come closer? Draw, come closer. See who I am and what I can give to you. So there's that negativity. And I suppose, in a sense, we can all put ourselves in different places in our lives and say, well, yeah, I did drift away. And um, maybe I fell away for a while and I came back. And there are times when I've turned away. Um, I haven't thrown it away, but when the person was writing this to the people, he said, don't throw it away. Don't throw it away. Because what you have in Jesus is so amazing. So that's a bit of negativity, but he actually brings it down to earth a little by. And he said, you're actually living, in, you're, as Christians, you're infantile. Now that's quite strong. It's quite strong. And sometimes... I'm amazed at how infantile we can be as people within the context of church. But as well as that, how insensitive we can be to other people. Now, within the context of church, we're always going to, we're sometimes going to get hurt. Sometimes negative things are going to be said. Sometimes we're going to be discouraged. Sometimes we're going to be put off. Sometimes we're going to hear something from the front which is a bit hard and you say, well, he's insensitive and I might be like that this morning. But it's our reaction to that sometimes and it becomes infantile. And so this is what the writer said in Hebrews earlier on in chapter 5. He said, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again. The basic principles of the oracles of God, you need milk, not solid, solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish between good and evil. Then he says in 6 verse 1, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Sometimes I get frustrated when people become infantile. This is not a judgment. I'm not, not out to condemn anybody. But what we're called to demands maturity. It demands looking at it from God's perspective on our lives, not on what we receive from other people. Things like this. They don't recognise the gift God has given to me. I feel neglected. No one's visited me, so I'm not going anymore. These are just examples 
of how we can become infantile. If we were in the army, we wouldn't expect to have attitudes and reactions like that. And so there is a sense sometimes that we can become infantile when we need to be mature. When we realize, now, who is it about? My little story about commitment is like this. Um, our early married life, we was in a very s small congregation in a chapel, not far from here uh, in Surrey, and we took, as families, we took it in turn to clean the chapel. And uh, I used to do, like to do this, what I thought was properly. Well, there used to be another couple that came, and they used to they used to just throw the chairs round and not put them straight and in order. And I like to polish the floor to do dusting and, um, and make it all look nice and clean and smell nice. And I just felt this was my commitment, you see, like this. And I was really, I was disturbed inside because this other family, you just to throw the chairs round the side and they just walk out and leave. And I, I got irritated by this. And um, I remember one Saturday, quite clearly, I thought to myself, I'm not going on with this. This is, this, my life is rubbish doing this. Sort. This is not what God was. And it suddenly it came back to me so forcibly, who are you doing it for? Who are you doing it for? They were menial things, but in fact it was a challenge, you know. Am I doing what I do for Jesus? This is his church. It's not my church, it's his church. We're part of this amazing thing. And whatever we do, we do it to serve him because we love him. It's not because... I mean, Peter said to Jesus, what about those others? He said, you forget about the others. He said, you look at me. So there's a sense of stuff we have to leave as well. So sometimes we can become infantile. And this does not help church. If you're coming, you're coming for Jesus. We used to have uh, people in our congregation in the same chapel. And there used to be certain speakers on the list that we had each Sunday. And, they did, and this same family, they wouldn't come when certain speakers came. Either because they didn't like them, or because they felt they weren't doctrinally sound. That's infantile Christianity. That's choosing what I want. And that's being part of what God wants. So there's a challenge here too to infantile Christianity and going on to maturity. So let's move on. Jesus is the undisputed hero of Hebrews. God reveals it. History marks it. Prophets tell it. Angels bow to it. Scripture records it. Warriors die for it. The faithful live for it. The church works for it. The undisputed hero is Jesus. He's the reason why we do everything. And the mysterious, undisclosed way each precious child of God, without any merit of their own, is included in it. The heroism of Jesus. Do you know we would spend eternity with him? When Jesus comes in glory, those who love him will appear with him. That's so amazing. And it's not a merit of our own, but it's God's grace and love has chosen to put us in that amazing position. 
so amazing. Jesus is the undisputed hero. God has revealed it. You only have to read chapter 1 to know that. So the first statement is, let us hold fast to the profession of our hope without wavering. There are two aspects to the meaning of this phrase, let us hold fast. And I was looking this morning here, and I was looking at these things on the wall, and some of them you can hold on to them quite comfortably if the kids... if the kids climb up. And some of them are not so easy to hold on to. Some of them are for your feet, some of them for your hands. But the whole point is that you can climb up that, you know, and actually work at it to go up. And so, you know, the writer here saying, let us hold fast. So when we gave our lives to Jesus Christ, it was something we needed to hold on to. Not I mean, I remember the day that I gave my life to Jesus Christ, but in a sense, you have to do that every day. That's holding on. Remember who you are and what he did for you. That's holding on. But there's two dimensions to this word, hold fast. The first one, described in a very, um, what should I say, difficult, well, not a biblical way, it says, hold the beast down. Hold the beast down. In other words, you have to be on top of the turmoil and the trouble of the beast. The other, the other thought is to embrace what God has given to us in Jesus Christ. Now, you say, well, that, how, does, how does this work out? Hold the beast down. Well, one of that is active and the other one's more passive. And so as we come to holding fast to what Jesus Christ has done for us in our lives, there is an active part and a passive part. We actively, I mean, the writer uh, to one of the, in one of the, well, Paul says, you have to work out your salvation with fear and temper. That means what God has given me, I have to work at. I have to put my energy into following him. But on the other hand, there's a passive part, you know, where God deals with us and he brings surprises into our lives and he gives us things we hadn't expected and he reveals new things to us, things we hadn't re realized before, because this is so amazing. And so there's two thoughts here. When we hold fast to the profession of our faith, there's both the active and the passive part, holding the beast down. You know, there is something which is trying to draw us away from Jesus. And the writer calls it the spirit of Antichrist. It's, a, it's everywhere in this world. It's everything that is against Jesus. And in a sense, we have to hold down everything that tries to draw us away from that. So that's the thought. When we hold fast, we're holding the beast down. In the second thought, we need to embrace the wonders, the truth that God has given to us in his word. So that's the thought there. I could say, don't don't let something happen to you what doesn't need to happen. I think it was, well, it was Paul writing in one of the other letters and he said, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. God has given us that ability to overcome, the ability to say no. That's an amazing thing.
What, what is the confession of our hope that we're holding on to without wavering? Well, if you think that in this world there's a lot of despair that people are experiencing today, that is the opposite of hope. There's lots of examples around us which say that life is despairing. And I would say this morning, outside of Jesus Christ, there is no hope. Outside of Jesus Christ, there is no hope. What do I mean by that? Hope is actually something of the future, which is for us personally. Something which God has prepared for those that love him. Something which God wants us to enter into now. That's hope. It's a reason to live. It's knowing what Jesus has done for us is secure for eternity. And we need to think, do I have that hope? Do you have that hope this morning? You say, well, the, the future looks bleak. I'm, I'm not feeling well. I, I don't know what will happen to me. I don't know what my end will be. I don't know. I'm really uncertain about life in itself altogether. But Jesus can change that because he is our hope. He is the one that is brought before us. Here, and the writer says, let's hold fast to the profession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. Don't let others prove empty what I've got. Let us prove it to be worth having. Let us prove it. He is faithful. So today is a challenge to renew our confidence in the greatness of Jesus. You, I, when I was preparing this, I just felt that someone, particularly this morning, was feeling discouraged in some way. And it, if, that, if you've been feeling discouraged in some particular way, the word is for you, to get someone to pray with you and to seek God in this, because he wants to encourage you this morning. He wants to give you personally encouragement. Apathy is destructive, and pessimism is designed to take away hope from people as it only looks for the worst in people, but Jesus looks for the best. He wants to give us hope. Can I say this morning, none of us are on probation. And that's an amazing thought, isn't it? None of us are here to prove ourselves to God because Jesus has proved it for us. None of us are on probation. In other words, God doesn't stop his dealing with us and his interest in us and his love for us because of what we've done, anything in the past, or what we're thinking or feeling at the moment, or how we're struggling, or how difficult things may be. We're not on probation. Isn't that amazing? I thought that was an amazing thought. You've got to prove yourself. His love for us, he's faithful to us because he is faithful. And I want to say to you this morning, if it is not enough for you that Jesus has done it all for you, then nothing ever will be. There will always be that uncertainty, there will always be that doubting, 
there'll always be that I don't know what it's all about I wish God would show me it's my approach to Jesus and accepting what God has done for me in him just accepting him not understanding it but accepting him for his death on the cross his resurrection and his ascension into heaven and receiving that as where I now stand now if that's not good for you nothing ever will be nothing ever will be and that's a challenge I put out this morning to you nothing ever will be so don't look for it I can say that with a certainty based on the Bible based on my experience and others experience if you can't accept that nothing will be suitable Jesus is the only way and I close with this story when I was a boy in Montana, I was invited to visit a well-known, wealthy ranch by one of the hired men. As we came up to an imposing ranch house, he did not take me into the house. Instead, he took me into the bunkhouse out in the back. I asked him what it was like in the ranch house, and he said, well, I can't take you in there. That belongs to the family. I saw a beautiful Palomina horse in the pasture and I told him how I would love to ride that horse. And he said, I'm sorry, you can't. That belongs to the family. All day long, I was frustrated because everything I wanted to do, he could not let me do because he was only a hired man. He was only worked for the family. But later on, I got to know the son of that family, a boy of my own age. And do you know what we did? We rode that Palomina horse all over the place. And we went into the house. And we even went into the kitchen and helped ourselves to food in the refrigerator. Anything we wanted. And we made ourselves perfectly at home. There's a difference between not knowing the sun and knowing the sun. And the amazing thing that God has brought us into because we know the sun. Hebrews 12, 18 to 24 is my closing bit. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. Even if the beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, it was so terrifying was the sight of Moses said, I tremble with fear. Now, Jewish people would look back to that experience and they would be afraid even as they read it because it was a fearful thing. But the writer goes on to say, but you, speaking to the Christians, speaking to the believers, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels in festal gathering. You have come to the assembly of the firstborn who enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now there may be things you don't understand there, and I don't understand, but it's the change that God gives to us by knowing his son, Jesus. He loves us. He gave himself for us. So 
Do we stand and again to just say, Lord, I'm committed to you. I'm committed to what you want to do in Herm Bay. I want to agree with, yes, there's a need there and follow through with that. Christian? I'm not going to ask you to take a stone this morning or put it anywhere. But just remember, there was a point in time when we did commit ourselves to what God is doing in Herm Bay. And I think that needs a fresh commitment, doesn't it, at all times? Just, um, just, just stand out. I think if, 